This is the 2D10 Podcast. You better listen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the 2D10 Podcast. Of course, my name is Nathan, and this week I am joined by Terry Robinson, who is a host over at Mage the Podcast, and he joins me this week to talk about a new online convention that he and some other folks have put together called TriadCon. If you want to hear more of the conversation that didn't end up in this podcast, there's a very easy way to do it. Dun, dun, dun. Go to my Patreon. There's like 15 minutes more conversation that we had that wasn't included in here because it was just kind of like us chatting about podcasting and creation and running games and all of that fun stuff. You can go to my Patreon over at patreon.com slash 2d10. I do uncut versions of these podcasts every week. I do Patreon-only voting. I, I have some merch available for Patreon backers only, and it's just a way to support what I do and support my YouTube channel and my podcasts and my website and all that other stuff. I want to thank my newest patron, Stephen Leckie, and I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Thank you for backing me over at Patreon. One final little note before we get into the podcast, you might notice that my audio quality, personal audio quality, is not as good as even this intro is, (laughs) and that is because I had a hard drive crap out. So all of the original audio recording that I had done for this podcast, as well as all of my video libraries that I use for creating my YouTube videos has gone (laughs) bye-bye. So I have to rebuild and hope that nothing ever goes wrong with those videos because I can never go back and edit the original libraries. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this podcast and let's get into it. So tell me about this con you're running. TriatCon. Um, so TriatCon was born of my belief that in the time of COVID, a lot of online conventions haven't quite figured out what they can do as an online convention. Mm-hmm. Like uh, to me, some of the big things when you're when you're going to a convention is it is an opportunity to try a whole bunch of games. Um, there is a relatively high opportunity cost, though, if you pick the wrong thing. Uh, So I I go to Gen Con and on Thursday or Friday or what have you, I sit down for four hours or five hours to play uh, Promethean the Created Mm -hmm. or something like that. For me to try that game, I had to get my ass to Gen Con, find one of nine available hotel rooms in the state of Indiana, (laughs) seemingly, uh, probably wake up at a weird time, either because I went to bed at 4 a.m. or someone's like, "I I don't know. I've never quite figured out why GMs seem to be comparatively more morning people than players are, but it always felt like everything was starting two hours earlier than I wanted it to. Um, that's, that's just been my experience. Um, and then I needed to have my character sheet and I probably needed it to be printed out somehow because you're at a physical location and then you're plopping down. So like all of those things had to have happened and I had to have seen the schedule and someone had to have run it with an online convention. A lot of that friction should theoretically uh, go away. Um, because if the person running the game at Gen Con plops down and there's only two people there, like it's not easy for them to go do something else. Um, so with an online convention, you should theoretically, theoretically be able to run more games that you're not sure if there will be an audience one, because 
in the planning stage, it's pretty easy to say, hey, no one scheduled for this. Do you want to run it anyway? Do you want me to say, hey, you can try this for free or do you want to do something else? It's really easy to do that in a way that it's not as easy in an in-person convention. Um, and theoretically, you can draw from a wider crowd. Um, when I was doing my research into what old World of Darkness games people were playing, um, the less popular a game was, the higher the ratio was of people who were interested in the game to people who were able to actually play it. There are a lot of people out there that really want to try Demon the Fallen, mm -hmm. but there's no way to get them in one place. Right. Um, <laughs> where at the other end of the spectrum, if you want to be in a V5 game, you can probably find a V5 game um, if you're willing to do at least a little bit of hustle. It may not be the kind of game you necessarily want or with the people, but at least someone's running the damn system. Um, uh, so try it, Con. Instead of starting with a list of like five games, most of them rhyming with Ungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder. Um, we're just like, here's 50 games we think are interesting. Uh, Blades in the Dark, Aegon, Star Trek Adventures, um, and a bunch of other things. And that's one of those things where if 30 people say, oh man, I'm really interested in trying Aegon, then that gives us as the convention operators the ability to go to John Harper and be like, Hey, do you know people who were who will run this game? We would love to have two sessions of Aegon, and everyone who participates gets a twenty percent off coupon to buying it on Drive Through RPG. And that to me feels like a like a win win. Yeah. And I haven't seen anyone <laughs> uh, try that yet. Um, the the other thing is with a online convention, the convention hall doesn't need to shut down. Like all the games that Gen Con needed to end at ten or twelve or whatever it was, and you need right. seven hours to clear out the dealer room or what have you. Um, one of the people running it is a morning person. He would have no problem playing a six a.m. game, right? Running one, right. Um, and the the group that benefits from that are not just East Coast morning people, but West Coast night owls yeah. and European everyone's. <laughs> but, and and I think that the the truth. So uh, a little bit of my experience, and I don't know if this is universal for everybody, but at a convention, big part of the reason why people are up at eight o'clock in the morning running games is because they're essentially paying for their room and board mm -hmm. through running games. And so they have to be up super early in the morning and they have to run as many games as they can. You know, it's like, it's not the fun of it. It's more like the necessity of running the games. And honestly, you know, I, uh, last year, we, uh, last year or the year before, it doesn't matter, but a couple of years ago, we went to Gen Con and a big thing that I wanted to do was I wanted to play Mage. And mm -hmm. I could not find a Mage game with an open spot at all. And so we sat in the room where mage was being ran and we were just like, well, maybe we'll get in. We kind of like mm -hmm. just lingered a bit and uh, we couldn't. So we ended up sitting down and playing, I believe scarred lands. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, I, I give all the credit to the DM, you know, he had been busting his hump, but you know, this was like four o'clock in the afternoon mm -hmm. and on a, on like, I think Saturday. So he had been running games basically wall to wall from the beginning of the convention until Saturday. And we were like the last group he was running. Mm -hmm. and so he was like really phoning it in. <laughs> and again, I, I, you know, I understood like, you know, it's like when you go to a restaurant and you've been a waiter and you're like, oh, you've been having a drag ass day. I get it. So I, I totally understood, but it was like, there's no reason for someone to like, come to have fun to be like grinding 24 hours straight. It just sucks. Yeah. It, it's, 
it has some super weird economics to it. And, and your statement of this person needs to run, um, needs to have 64 players go through so they can charge $8. So Gen Con gets $4 so they mm-hmm. can keep the remaining to pay for their room right. and maybe a bus ticket to get there. And if they play it right, they could get to see some of their friends that they only get to see once a year for three hours. And they get to walk through the dealer room on Sunday or something like that and pick yeah. through what hasn't already been taken. I, I remember being at, um, I think it was PAX Unplugged and seeing one of the OPP devs run I think it was the Scion quick start for like the 72nd time that weekend. <laughs> and the person is like, you find yourself standing in a large mall amphitheater trying to figure out where the rest of your group has gone in the distance you hear. <laughs> and you're like, wow, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that you're going through it. But uh, so it, it reduces the cost of participation. Um, it's, it's generally going to be, in my opinion, a worse experience just because doing stuff online kind of knocks 30% of the fun out of the top. Um, it's really hard to have that riotous game experience where something crazy just happened and everyone's talking at the same time because that's what would happen in a real game if suddenly a car were to burst through a front wall or suddenly yeah. a monster were to appear as opposed to be like, you see something that makes you shit your pants in fear. Nate, what is your response? <laughs> I, <laughs> um, but on the flip side of that, with Gen Con, uh, they are in the market of making sure that all of their games fill because every game they pick means another game didn't get to be run. So you and I uh, were in the OPP room and we saw that there were what, 12 tables or something. Mm -hmm. So uh, 12 people, six people per table, five players, one storyteller. You got 72 people every four hours. There is a maximum throughput that you can possibly have in the venue. Uh, But when you run a game, it's something on discord, like, okay, Oh no, we have another game that we want to run. Okay. Uh, give me 12 seconds. I will literally add a new voice channel <laughs> right. and we're good. Right. Um, and the other thing that you run into is uh, game length. Um, I think there's room for like the two hour game session, either because the game has super fast character creation. I think you could do that with a lot of the OSR stuff where it's like 3d six down the line. Let's go into this dungeon and see what happens. Right. Um, or the other end, um, Magpie does this thing where they offer two shots where the first one, you basically, you make your characters, you figure out what the group wants to do. You, you kick the tires on the session. And then your second session is like the real session as it were, because everyone is kind of familiar with stuff. And, and these are things that online um, venues free up. Uh, the hard part though, is if you just give a player an option of 200 games, I, I don't know about you, um, but I am always fighting like, I think everyone wants to be the fifth person to join a five person game because that way they know there will be five people right? Um, and no one necessarily wants to be that first person. So one of our big um, things that we need to figure out is how we want to do that. So uh, the first thing we did is we sent out a survey to players and we said, Hey, what games are you interested in playing? Not sure when this is going out, but if this, if you, if you hear this before uh, August, uh, pardon me, if you hear this before April 4th, um, that is, that is still available. Um, Tryicon.com. And we just say, hey, what games do you want to play? When do you want to play them? How much are you willing to pay for it? Is there any game that we listed that um that you would like to try? And one of the ones that that jumped out immediately was one we didn't we didn't list DD or Pathfinder, and no one wrote that in. And that kind of con- <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of confirmed to me that we had put this out to the right people. Um, but the two things that jumped out were a bunch of people wanted to play Morkborg and a bunch of people wanted to play Cult. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. You mentioned that because, uh, one of those games, so I just I finished editing and I will be publishing a video by the time this podcast is out 
where mm-hmm. I did I, I did my my top five games I want to play in 2021 that I've never played, uh, okay. which is a really long, terrible title. But Morkborg is one that's on there because it's just like it's just so cool looking. I don't, it could be oh, yeah. terrible. I have no idea, but it looks cool. And I want to play it. Yeah, and and so we have that difficulty of um, unless you ask players what they want to play, we don't have an idea. And in right. most cases, conventions start with okay, what are storytellers willing to run or GMs? We just use the generic term GM. So we ask that too. But at the other end, this now gives us a list of games where we can go to uh, a publisher and say, hey, do you do you have anyone that is interested in doing this? Um, uh, theoretically, if enough people were to figure it out, we could be like, oh man, there is a huge drive for people to try Morkborg at 3.30 a.m. on Saturday. <laughs> we're, we're not at that level yet, but we're trying. Um, the other thing with it being try it con, um, we are of the opinion that if you're a skilled storyteller or you're skilled at online conversations, like you're good at Zoom, you can probably learn how to do the other half of that arrangement. You can right. either learn how to be a storyteller if you know the game and know how to zoom, or you can learn to zoom if you know how to storytell and you know the game. So when we put out the, hey, what games do you want to run? I was surprised that 40% of the people who replied had never run an online game um, or had never story told before and wanted to give it a try. Um, and, and kind of my, my core thesis is there's a lot of demand for old World of Darkness games and, and new World of Darkness games and just like OPP stuff in general. Um, it's just there's not enough people to run it. So um, I like conventions because you can't do anything wrong. It's like hitting on someone on vacation. Yeah. Like if you're in a small <laughs> town and you make a pass at the at the person who works at the coffee shop, you will now have to see that person every day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so like give it a try. And if the session costs everyone there four dollars, I don't know about you, but like a movie ticket for me is eleven eighty five. When was the last and- time you bought a movie ticket though? You know what I mean? Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm just using it as a notion yeah. of my part. Like, uh, for, for, for the kids of the audience, movie right. theaters were this thing. Where, um, but, but, uh, even before COVID that was, I, I liked going to temple pictures just yeah. because, um, no, it's, I, I meant it more like you yeah. can't go to the theater because of COVID, but yeah, I love so, going to the movie theater. So now that you're in Chicago, do you get the big city movie experience where there is a, like director's commentary from the audience where you have people in the audience yelling, Oh shit, I didn't see that coming. I have no Um, clue. I mean, yes, those do exist or they did exist before, you know, everything shut down, but even in Indianapolis, we had that. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Um, Which, and honestly, I gotta be totally upfront here. Um, In that regard, I liked Indianapolis better because it's smaller. (laughs) So I could get to shit easier. I could go to the theater because it was, you know, six blocks away. Now, um, you know, to go get my COVID shot, I had to drive an hour and 10 minutes clear across the city to get the first shot. I'm not complaining. I got a shot, but it's just, yeah, that's the scope of the city is very different. Okay. Uh, when I lived in the burbs, no one ever said anything during a movie. Um, except like passive aggressive shit talk. And you're like, I'm going to find you and slash your tires <laughs> if I can, you 17 year old punk. But in the city, depending on what theater and what neighborhood you're in, like mm-hmm. you will get a running commentary. And for some movies, it's great. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would never want to see Black Panther in another circumstance, except for people constantly yelling praise and gripes at the screen <laughs> as it went through. It was the only was movie. Great. The only time I've ever been in an experience like that has been um, movies that kind of were designed for that. Like the big one that kind of shocked me was when I went to see the room and 
I didn't know that was a whole thing. That's performance art at yeah, this point. That's yeah, no longer it's, a movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically <laughs> it's like, interactive theater. it's like Rocky Horror Picture Show, but it's its own thing. And mm-hmm. people bring plastic cutlery and like you're being pelted constantly. I had no idea. So mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, I love this shitty movie. I'm going to go see it. I was not prepared. <laughs> Into the Spider-Verse was kind of the same way where someone's like, is that John Mulaney? And, and just across the theater, someone's like, yeah, it's John Mulaney. <laughs> 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 so um but um doing it online you don't have a lot of costs to cover yeah. um so you you can make it cheap and i think by putting our cards on the table to be like hey we want you to try a game you haven't tried before and we want to let storytellers who don't have a huge amount of experience with one of these things run it or allow a storyteller to run a weird variant um like if, if you have an idea for like a vampire in space game or a prehistoric vampire game um I think as long as we, everyone puts their cards on the table saying, this is what this game is going to be. Why not offer it? Yeah. Um, and uh, our job is then going to be, to be proactive in pairing people who want games with people who want to run them. Um, so I think uh, one of the things that doesn't happen with a lot of online conventions is to say, is to send out like a, a, a update email that says, Hey, these sessions are down to their last two players. So if you and your friend want to join, now is the time to do it. And once that session is locked, that's great. That means, Hey, that time is allocated. The DM has, uh, knows what they're going to be doing at that time. Maybe we should look for another game at the, to put in at this time because this yeah. time is proving popular. So uh, it, it's kind of informed by what we're known as unconferences. Uh, anyone who's been in tech for sufficiently long in a major city uh, may have been invited to one where you have a conference where there is no schedule when you arrive there. Um, you have a whole bunch of index cards where you say, I can do a session on, uh, so I, I'm Nate Seaver and I can do a session on uh, video editing, Vampire the Masquerade, uh, Cyberpunk, and you just, put those on index cards and throw them into the till. And then I could be like, hi, I'm Terry Robinson. I can talk about catastrophe modeling. I can talk about maids, the Ascension. Um, and I can talk about the Albigensian heresy. Um, and the people running it kind of look through that and, uh, people essentially upvote and downvote topics by putting little stars on them and so on. And yeah. we were wondering, can we take some of that <clears throat> add that to the convention experience? And that's kind of what we're going for with the request a game offer a game uh we will probably leave that open even after the schedule goes out so that way people who look over the schedule and say oh man i really wanted to play this game um we can know that there's still residual interest in it and see if we can uh, come up with a game to help that person we make no promises it's it is three random people with podcasts trying <laughs> to make this happen <laughs> um my goal is to make enough quote-unquote money off of this that i can buy event insurance for the next time we do it because i don't want to run a convention like with no benefit really to me and then get sued because someone's being an asshat about it. Yeah. Um, so if I can do that, I'm, I'm going to consider that a victory. Uh, and the other half to it to me is the panel content. Um, I don't think we've really done a good job of exploring online panels in the sense that most of them have just been recreations of what we do at an event. Right. Um, so one of the panels I want to offer is uh, something like, a whole bunch of people are like, I want to, I want to run my first vampire coterie game, but I have no idea how to set up the politics of it. And Nate could run a session where, Hey, we are going to use this Google spreadsheet, or we're going to use this slide, or we're going to use Trello. And we're going to, as a group, make up a sample, um, set of political intrigue in whatever random city that we're going to be in. And at the end of it, everyone gets to take that home with them. 
Uh, and the six or seven or 40 participants of that can either all throw ideas into the hat or you can lead a group discussion or something like that. I, I think there's a lot of a kooky stuff like that that you could do. Um, as And that also makes it something that can be micro-targeted. So instead of telling everyone that the session will happen, uh, Nate can go out to the Vampire the Masquerade Facebook group and say, hey, if this is a topic you're interested in, I'm running this session at this event. You don't even have to register to the damn conference to go or or you do or something and it costs two bucks or what have you but i'm running this so it lets you target people who are not just convention goers but maybe interested in that topic because to drop into a discord channel for three or four hours or a zoom channel for three or four hours i, I think over a weekend i think a lot of people are going to be able to do that so we're going to have a bunch of kooky panels like that um i i created kind of a fiasco variant for mage uh called a magical fiasco um where you use the fiasco system to come up with kind of a starting point for a plot um, and that's been reasonably well received on Storyteller Vault. Uh, so I'm going to do a live demo of it. So to show other people how I do story seeding, um, it, it can also be something where a group does the first chapter of a Storyteller Vault supplement that they all want to do, or can do live criticism like that. Um, and another thing is the ability to invite people who normally are only known to talk about one topic to talk about something they don't get the chance to talk about uh, whenever uh, certain people like, like James Sombrano or uh, Mike Pondsmith is generally asked, what is it like being a person of color in the RPG industry or alternatively talk about cyberpunk? Uh, Mike Pondsmith has been around the RPG industry for a while and may have other things that Mike Pondsmith wants to talk about and be like, yeah, I want to talk about transformers. Yeah, like, can right. we just do 30 minutes of that? Right. And I'm like, yes. You get to, I'm always the mage guy. So like, maybe I want to talk about my secret love of Hunter the Reckoning. I do not yet have a secret love of Hunter the Reckoning, but I'm just using that as an example. <laughs> right. Um, and you can do things that are a little bit more experimental like that. Uh, Jacqueline Brick is often asked to talk about uh, LARPing and, um, and like abuse in the RPG industry. Maybe Jacqueline wants to talk about like Dark Ages Vampire, like let, give right. them the platform. It doesn't cost anything. So, um, and we'll see. The thing I like about it is everything is super low stakes. I do a lot of stuff with uh, Scouts BSA, formerly the Boy Scouts of America. And like every time I ran an event and there would be somewhere between 20 and 130 kids and event. And they're all like somewhere between the ages of nine and 17 during every one of those events, I would, something would happen. And I would discover that somebody had like a lethal peanut allergy as we were handing out the PB and J sandwiches. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then we would have 12 minutes to come up with a lunch alternative or a way of like secreting this kid away. So they didn't die of anaphylaxis or something like that. Or like I would have to run across a summer camp because a kid forgot their EpiPen and they're starting to get a little bit swollen because something stung them. Um, but this is an online RPG event. Like it can only go so poorly. Yeah. Like I, mean, I kind of want that to be the banner of Triacon. <laughs> Triacon. It can only be so bad. Brought to you by Mates the Podcast. <laughs> but I, I like the idea of, of what you're saying too about, you know, the kind of doing it in reverse instead of just going like, here's a, a big catalog of a thousand games that people want to run. Mm -hmm. um, you know, here instead, what do you want to play? And let's match you through that. Um, cause I, I will tell you in, in since 2018 mm -hmm. and granted we didn't get to go last year, but 2018, um, and 2019, I got to play one session of V5 mm -hmm. and this was the only time I got to play V5 in like three years. <laughs> so mm -hmm. like I had no other, no other experience. Nobody else wanted to run it. And I, I wanted, I just wanted to play, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. Um, for me, 
every time I've gone to get my my tickets or or you know whatever my badges for for Gen Con to find events, you know it's kind of just like all right everything's open like yeah your oh, fingers yeah. And and it's a gold rush right. it's this mad dash. It actually it reminded me a lot of my experience here in Chicago with going to try to get my shot. Mm-hmm. Basically, where I live in Cook County, it's guess what? Today we have 25,000 appointments and go. And it shows you there's 50,000 people waiting and there's 25,000 appointments. Good luck. And you're like, yeah. well, okay. <laughs> well, I guess I'll just try really hard. Um, yeah. And basically when I went to Gen Con for years, my just default was, well, I'm just going to get a ticket for the LARP because I know it's three days and a hundred people can play. Yeah. So I'm just going to go do that. That's just going to be my, my goal. So I basically didn't do anything else and doing something like this, at least now I can go, Hey, I want to play, you know, I want to play V5. I want to play uh, 20th edition mage. I want to play, I want to play street fighter, the game, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and that way we can get matched up. So I, I think that's a really good idea. And yeah, the the only question I ever had for anybody that's like tried to do these virtual things is really just like, how do you assemble people to the right places? Um, That's where I'm kind of like, wait, how the hell does that work? So normally there's going to be a a couple of stages. So uh, we're probably going to be using tabletop.events, which is a platform, which is an online platform that was originally done to help run conventions that uh, if if Nate wanted to run NateCon and you have 400 people in Indianapolis or your region of Chicago that are coming together, uh, you would just pay them a certain percentage of each ticket and they would let you use their logistic software to uh, scan badges, take payments and arrange people. the way it's going to work is we receive the request, we receive the uh, the GM offerings, um, we, we shut down the submissions for what games you want to play sometime this weekend, and then we have two weeks where we do a mad dash and try to assemble a schedule. Um, once that is, that goes up on tabletop.events, and included in there is the information that says, this game is going to be on Discord, uh, this game is going to be on Zoom. Uh, so you already know the time. The tricky part, as you mentioned, is is knowing the place. And those platforms give you the ability to have the storyteller say, hey, we're going to have it um, on this Zoom link at this particular time. And that's kind of the way that assembly gets done. Um, y- you include the platform when you're signing up for it to be like, uh, Tara Robinson is running an, a game of Mage 20th anniversary at 4 p.m. on Thursday. It's going to be on Zoom. The link isn't there yet. Um, but when I've figured that out. I have the ability to message all of my players with a little preformatted thing that says, Hey, here's the zoom link. Join at that time. Uh, for discord games, there's, you just create a channel for it ahead of time. Um, and you just need to be at that channel and assuming your registration process captured the appropriate information. You then have the ability to say, okay, uh, this is a discord game. We asked for your discord ID. Uh, Jim isn't here yet at Jim, please go to your room. This is where, this is where it's located. So that's kind of how that portion of the pairing goes. Um, the, the one thing that we're trying to figure out if there is a better way of doing it is uh, consent forms. Um, we play a lot of horror or horror adjacent games um, or things that can have triggering material because those are the games we like. Um, right. And, and having a good way of making sure that people have 
either complete it or at least have the opportunity to complete it. Like if, if someone doesn't submit a consent form, eh, um, <laughs> uh, we don't, we don't have a good answer to that yet. I don't know if you just say, no, you can't participate until you do this, or we assume that you're fine with whatever the storyteller does. Um, I, I think the answer to that is we hound the person and try and get them to do it. Uh, so we don't have to figure that out. Um, and then have the people fill it out and give it back to their game masters. Um, I participated in an online game where one of my no goes is I don't like mind control. Um, I'm fine with, with subtle in influence. I'm fine with like presence, but anything where you're like, and now you will kill the person using the powers of my mind. I'm like, no. Uh, <laughs> so I submit that to the storyteller and they're like, my game doesn't work like uh, with that. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Um, one, it is weird to have a plot that falls apart if mind control can't happen. Like, can't you just use like bribery? Like can't, the old fashioned way to convince someone to do it without dominate um, or something like that. And that process is something that we're looking to streamline. It would be super great if there were just a single online form and you would say, okay, I'm participating in this game. Uh, these are these are the things I'm fine with. These are the things I'm not fine with. Oh. And then... <laughs> uh, yeah. and Terry said, hi, and please don't ever do that again. <laughs> This is scared the shit out of me. Police blonde <laughs> head appeared. <laughs> okay, goodbye. Like the top third of Megan Rapino just appeared. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so that is something that we would like to try and find a way to streamline. Uh, one of the limitations we have is we we don't have a programmer on staff, so we're like, what are the tools we have able to do? Like. It, my original version of this was going to call it storyteller con because uh, the storytellers are the people running the games. They never get to play the, the game that they want to. So I wanted to have a thing that said, if you offer to run a game, you will get first crack at registering for a game. Like no matter what right. you will have, we, we just couldn't technically figure out a good way to do that. Um, and, and if ever our, our, our little cadre involves a programmer or someone with the chops to figure out how to do that, I, I would love to offer that. Um, but yeah, the logistics are a concern and part of it involves having a group of people to do that kind of management. So there, there's a cr core crew of four people and at any given time over the course of the event, probably there will be two of us that will just be taking problems from storytellers that say, hey, this person isn't here or hey, these seven people claim that they all read registered for this, what's happening, uh, hopefully to work out those things as they arrive. Did that answer the question? Yes. Yeah. And, and you're not, you're not doing any like, like live streaming or anything no. like that. So no. there are other people who do that much better. Um, uh, Gannett Gaming has remarkable polish for the events that they run. They're already connected with the live play community. Um, but I, I, this is just, let's, let's try some damn games yeah. and we'll see what happens. Yeah. It may be one of those things where we need some headliners to get people to know about it. Otherwise it's what I used to refer to as shitball con. Like when I used to go to like anime conventions and such with friends, mm -hmm. um, still have never really watched anything beyond two studio Ghibli films. Um, but still they were, they were fascinating to walk around with and everyone <laughs> else seemed to be enjoying themselves. So I'm like, what's a costume that's not going to make me look like a weirdo. Um, so I came up with one of those and just went and it was just kind of interesting being there. Um, but yeah, so it may be the point that we need some headliners to get people to go. But if people want to try a game, I, I think saying this game you want, yeah. we're offering it will hopefully be enough inducement. But again, we'll, we'll find out. And uh, if it fails, I wasted a, a couple dozen hours um, for, for a couple dozen people, maybe. And uh, there are certainly <laughs> worse tragedies that have occurred. Yeah. Um, like, oh no, you ran some games and it wasn't quite as many games as you anticipated. Oh yeah. I, I mean, the worst case scenario is like Chaz runs a game of Exalted. I run a game of Mage and a game of Blades in the Dark. And like 
three other friends of ours also run a game and it's the equivalent it's it's the big version of we're all going over sally's house to try a bunch of games this weekend so i i i hope it can fail gracefully um (laughs) and since again since we don't have any headliners we don't have to be like oh no there will be 200 people watching the stream there's no stream so that's yeah that's that's good i mean i I've, i've been in situations where um I, I was always under the impression when I first started doing this that like, oh yeah, people love to be like on camera or they'd love to be on a, on a podcast. And, you know, I would just like record meetups and stuff like that. And people would be like, we're not going to come because we don't want to be recorded <laughs> at all. Like we don't want any trace of our existence. And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. That's not a problem. But I, I learned that. Right. I also learned, um, by the way, you may have experienced this. If you have a, a lot of, um, real life friends that you've tried to get, you know, to talk to you on a podcast. Uh, but yeah, some people, as soon as you put a microphone in front of them, they're done. They just like shut down. Um, so yeah, recording games with people that aren't used to being recorded mm-hmm. can be a bit of a, uh, pull you out of the, the scenario, right. You know, very quickly. Yeah. I remember seeing your, um, actual play setup where it looked like a CNN anchor round table where it was just this long, it was, it was like an executive suite, but everyone had this, this gorgeous mic in front of them. Yeah. And I think that gets in the way of a lot of neat stuff that we could offer. And I don't know how to fix that. So one of the things I would love to do is be able to run a session. And, and this is something to try at con won't necessarily happen, have this year, but something I'm toying around with. So me and a few of my storyteller friends, we all have things that we want to work on. I think I'm relatively good at describing a scene, but I'm pretty bad at creating realistic NPCs. And another person is I'm really bad at calibrating challenges for a player. So I think it would be super interesting to have like essentially a live feedback session where we mm-hmm. record that and be like, okay, today, Mark is going to try and work on the fact that, um, Uh, Mark is not good at smoothly running combat. So we're going to see what we can do as we go. We're going to try and give Mark hints of how to do that. Would there be an audience for that? I have no idea, but something that was explicitly built towards this is not super polished. This is us figuring out how to do it. I, I, I think is something that, that could be useful at least to the participants. And I have no idea if it would be useful for, for anyone beyond that. Um, now the, the other question, um, you know, what is like the cost of, of doing this both like for players that want to participate and, you know, on the back end, like what, what is coming out of pocket? Um, obviously you don't need to share specific figures, but, um, is it a, is it a large financial investment for you or no, not at this point. Um, the one of the things that I've kind of learned as I've spent more and more time in the RPG community is it's super powerful when you have a group of people that kind of trust you. One of the weird things about RPGs is the fundamental unit of engagement is like six people, like whatever the size of your table is, larger for LARP, obviously. Um, that's debatable, or, but yeah. <laughs> it's like groups, <laughs> groups of five and six, but yeah, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> Whereas most of the things I've done hobby wise, like I'm also in an opera company and there can be 115 people on stage at once. Um, <laughs> so it's easy to have an opera company get together with 115 guests because of that. Yeah. RPGs are in this weird space because like 
we come together to talk about our experiences in large group. But at the end of the day, the fundamental unit of that activity is a bunch of people sitting around a table, real or virtual, yeah. uh, playing the game. So it's it's super handy to have a little bit of an audience to bring to it. Um, if the, the participants didn't already have communities that they were engaged in, either as people who run podcasts or people who write books for the Storyteller Vault or something like that, it would probably be harder to get it out there. Um, but the glory of it being 2021 is Discord is free. Um, the website hosting is on an existing plan. So that's more or less free. It cost me $9.99 to register tryitcon.com. Um, I have a few vanity URLs that we use as like inside jokes and they cost an additional $8.99 um, <laughs> <laughs> to do. Uh, Tabletop.events is free to the people running the event. So uh, they want 10% or something like that. It's like 30 cents plus 10% of whatever you're charging for a ticket. Tickets are probably going to be $4 some uh, for most of the, the game sessions. Um, it, 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 will, it will be no more than eight and no less than free. Um, so so uh, <laughs> at least for participants, I don't think it's going to be particularly pricey. Um, we're chewing on whether or not we want to have a convention fee, which would be just $2, right. um, mostly as a way of saying, hey, um, pr prove to us that you, that you're a real human being and have, and have the teeniest stake in this. And that would be, that would be handy. Um, so most of the things that we're trying to do are free. Um, we're trying to make it so that if somebody wants to run a game for the first time and has a group that wants to do it, and they're willing to run it a minimum number of times that we can go out to the publisher and ask for those materials. Um, Modifius, for instance, has a pretty good program where they're like, Hey, if you're going to run four of our games at a weekend or something like that, the storyteller gets a free copy. Um, I would love to be in a position and this may not happen until TriatCon 2022, if if that happens, to be able to say, hey, we really want to offer a discounted experience to the players. Um, to be like, hey, we sat down and we tried it, we liked it, and now we want to go run it for our group. Can you help us with that so that that initial outlay isn't as hard? And and to me, offering someone 25 to 40% off on drive through RPG as a coupon, that seems like a super good investment for a gaming company. That's just me. Yeah. We'll see if that actually happens. Uh, but to your question, cheap. Um, so far it's costing us very little. Um, I will probably spring for event insurance just in case something colossally stupid happens. Um, <laughs> and that's going to cost me a couple Benjamins, but, um, otherwise it's been pretty for your low cost. And again, that's the glory of doing these things online. Um, I wish there were an option where I could, instead of getting a premium zoom account, I could get like 15 premium zoom accounts, but just for one weekend <laughs> and I could hand that out <laughs> could to rent them. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. Or something like that. And I don't want to be like, well, I'll just use the free trial and you got it for 30 days. Like I'd, I'd like to formalize that a little bit, but, yeah. um, for uh, workshops, those prices are going to be set by the person running them from the feedback we've gotten from people offering to run sessions and people asking, um, people who want to play are generally looking to pay about $4 people who run. Um, it's kind of interesting. Want to charge zero or eight dollars. <laughs> so, um, That's funny. <laughs> and I'm pleased that very few people so far have said I'm not willing to pay. And, yeah, and I mean, I, <laughs> I, I I think that uh, for a lot of people, especially when you're you're being put in connection with strangers, you know, it's mm -hmm. not just uh, like me and my buds sitting down to play a game. I I think that they're people are willing to pay a couple of bucks for the experience to have fun. I mean, you know, you think about it, you play a four hour game, you pay $4. What are you paying a dollar an hour? Like yeah. that's, that's nothing. Um, and trust me, the person who 
is running the game has put way more than four hours into the the setup. So yeah, it, yeah. that seems worth it to me. The other thing that we're going to give a try to is having a standby room, which uh, the glory of Discord is we can say, hey, this game had a person drop. And the storyteller has told us that this game only works with at least three people. Uh, if you want to jump in this channel, first come, first serve, um, you can join. And that does two things. One, people who randomly have free spots in their schedule, who uh, maybe they're a shift worker or they're on call or something like that, and they don't know what they're going to be able to do, might be able to jump into a game. And two, someone who is very cost conscious can still participate, even if they have literally zero dollars. And I understand that either you don't want to use, you don't want to put a credit card into a web page or use PayPal or Venmo or something right. like that, um, or you're a kid, uh, <laughs> you just <laughs> don't have have a credit card. That I totally understand. But there, there's a bunch of things that we're trying and. Uh, we're going to see if it works. I, I, I'm not sure where we would go from there. Like if this turns out to be a hit, what is the next phase of try it con? I have some ideas, but uh, again, let's, let's get the first one uh, out of the way first and, and <laughs> right. see how that goes. The, the, your measure of success. I just found out the other day too, that uh, apparently you've never even actually played vampire, the masquerade. I have never played Vampire the Masquerade. Um, I, I read the Tui book cover to cover probably 75 times in eighth grade uh, <laughs> just because I had no concept of what it was. And it was just captivating to me because it was so uh, adult. I don't I don't want to say sexy, but seemingly refined. Yeah, there was definitely like that second ed book caught me too. And mm -hmm. I think um, I might've been in like junior high or something when I first saw it, but like, mm -hmm. there was something about the artwork and just like mm -hmm. the stories in it where I was like, what is happening? What is this? And yeah. So, you know, the rest is history, but yeah, yeah. something about that second ed book, the artwork, like the character artwork, I don't know. It's just, just and I, th I think as these games have spent more time existing, we get new weird stories that we get to play. Yeah. Like the thing that I find captivating about vampire is there's a tiny part of me because it allows for old world of darkness, good old fashioned power gaming. Um, I, <laughs> I want to put a bunch of dots in celerity and I want to wreck something. Sure. That can happen. <laughs> but to me as, as a mage player, which is set in a very dynamic world, um, or at least that's what it purports to be. I now see a certain fascination in wraith and vampire. Like vampire, you are this unaging character and it is fascinating to me how hard it is, or at least it is implied to me by the game for a vampire to stay current and that draw of habit and kind of the dread and alienation that occurs when somebody suddenly steps into an apartment that hasn't changed in 175 years, seemingly, right. um, or someone has recreated the Italian villa they grew up in because that is the only thing they understand because post-embrace uh, fighting stasis is so hard. Um, and the fact that you are literally sucking the life out of everything around you to persist, that is something I am curious about. I'm, I'm probably not going to be a hardcore stand of it, but I am curious what that feels like and do the systems help reinforce that? Um, so I am always game to see this game has a mood and these are the systems and the setting that create that mood. How does that work? That as someone who is generally interested in RPGs is something I'm endlessly fascinated with. There are, there are a bunch of games that do that super well. Blades in the Dark is always my 
standard of it's a setting that makes you feel like a, uh, a rapscallion scoundrel cut purse in with systems that make you feel like that. And it just marries everything together so well. And I'm always interested to see how games do that or don't. Uh, I tried Rare Wolf 20th. I thought I was going to be a badass eco-terrorist uh, fighting the good fight. It came down to a lot of accounting. <laughs> really like, uh, I spent my first rage point, but I get that one back and it's a Thursday um, and I'm an R, so I get an additional one. Uh, do you have the W2 so I can do initiative? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, these, these aren't quite matched up in the way I anticipated. Yeah, that, so yeah. That, that's something that uh, I think um, all of us struggle with, uh, but certainly, you know, trying to run a game that is a story-based game, but also keep people interested. Like, you know, people occasionally want to roll dice and, and beat things up, you know, it's just inherent to the game. And that's uh that's definitely where I'm at right now. I'm running a game that takes place in the twenties and I'm just trying to like wrap my brain around. Okay. How do I, how do I represent the era? Mm-hmm. How do I take people out of today and put them in this, you know, you know, jazz age, you know, during prohibition and tell a tale of this world of vampirism and also not just turn it into like drive by shootings and, you know, celerity combat, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I think that that's interesting, but I'm gonna, I'm, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break you into vampire. I'm, I'm vowing now. I don't know when, okay. I don't know when, but no one's going to beat me. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get you in. Um, cause it's, it's, it's a game, you know, I, I know well enough. I'm, I'm still waiting for my mage game. Um, I'm uh, not, I'm not saying anything, but you know, I am. <laughs> so one for record con, I'm actually running two sessions of mage next weekend. If you're interested, but if you would like to do a, a recorded one with you at where you get to pick the people, or maybe we do it for the, the patrons of utility muffin labs, I would be glad to do that as well. If you, if you know anyone else. So either of those I am perfectly fine with. Okay. So here's, here's what I will pledge to you. So I am moving at the end of May okay. um, to a new permanent location. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, it is where we've decided to give up apartment life and mm-hmm. um, build a semi-permanent homestead. So I'm going to tear all this crap down and just uh, take the apartment with just you. Take it with me. Um, do, you, do you know where the drywall went? Oh, that doesn't come with it. <laughs> no, you told I us we that's could, why we yeah. were paying so much. Yeah. Um, luckily, we have appliances at the new place, so we won't have to like, okay. you know, secrete them away um and be like we didn't we didn't pay you know we just we just paid first month's rent man we thought those were ours um but uh yeah once once we're moved into that new place um and i have my new whatever set up i am interested in yeah i'm sure people would be like i want to watch but i don't care about that to be Mm -hmm. fair um i i am very much a fan of just sitting and playing without um the concern of a camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I would love to play the first time where there's, it's just pure unadulterated mage fun. Okay. <laughs> no, there's no camera involved, but you know, I'd be willing down the road at a later date, you know, to um, try that out if, if you're interested. Um, oh yeah, certainly. And in exchange, I will, um, I'll work out. I don't, we'll, we'll do one shots. We'll, we'll, we'll keep it like that and see, see how things go. If you're like, uh, I've heard Nate talk a lot, but I'm actually not really digging this. Totally understand. You know, then we'll, we'll try some other games, um, like fallout. Cause that's the thing that's coming out. 
I, I thought there was already a Fallout RPG. No. So there's a Fallout miniature war game called um, Fallout Wasteland Warfare. And I thought it was an RPG too, but it, it is not. What they're coming out with at some point, I guess in the near future, they just launched their, their uh, pre-order is... Huh the fallout rpg so it's like a 2d20 like uh star trek adventures and and all those so yeah i i heard about it yesterday and i was like oh my god i don't play fallout yeah <laughs> because the thing that threw me off is as, as someone with a non-trivial rpg collection i can infer a lot from when was the game released and how much does a used copy sell for on ebay mm-hmm. um and copies of fallout wasteland warfare were real cheap and i'm like oh no this is not a good sign (laughs) (laughs) so oh i I didn't realize it was a miniature game but um but to your previous point um talking about your 1920s game the 19 the roaring 20s made no sense to me until covid and i'm like oh people are probably gonna want uh, cut loose and make bad decisions when this is over (laughs) um and and also that um yeah i I am curious how to balance the, I want to give someone an unadulterated mage first experience, but also as someone who wants to evangelize for the game, I love, I would like to find a way to be like, I am going to capture this person's first experience doing this weird sphere combination effect when they go, Oh crap, you can do that in this game. That's super cool. So that is another thing I'm looking at too. I have a different group to to try that on, but I'm always back and forth on like, do we record the first effort uh, and just try and fix it in editing? But no, I will, I will be glad to do that. We will do our old quid pro quote. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know. Um, cause you know, vampire is, is like that too. Like, do I give you like the old school, like you're the anarch and you're fighting the power, uh, you know, the Camarilla that's oppressing you, or do I give you a Camarilla game, which everybody comes to expect? Um, or do I give you a Sabat game and you know, it's super combat oriented, or do I just not worry about that and just like try to present, you know, a fun story. Um, so yeah, there's, it's, that's the thing, like these games, everybody has their own sort of perception on what those games are supposed to be. And everybody's right. And everybody's wrong too. So it's, it's, it's hard to say, I, you know, for me, I don't really care. Um, you know, if you're like, I'm going to throw you into this weird mage plot and I don't care. I just want to play the game Mm -hmm. and just like explore that aspect of the world. Um, yeah, I've played mage. I played mage once before, like I, I played in a LARP, but I basically, um, you know, I, I, it wasn't, I don't think we got the experience that you would get at a tabletop, um, for what we played. You know, I, I played an Akashic brotherhood character that like, I spent a lot of time putting together, but really was just like a super powered samurai. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not really like, you know, anything different than I would do in any other, you know, D and D or adventure style game. Um, I hope specifically you always play samurai. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like even in a game like invisible sun, where there are no samurai analogs, like who's that guy? He's what's called a samurai. No <laughs> idea. Uniform looks great though. Spick and span. So the the character that I played in that game, um, I wrote his background in haiku. 
Okay. That's a thing. <laughs> I was just like, I, I, so basically I, I just took like um, a famous samurai from history and just made him a reincarnation in my character. So he just been like reincarnating every, you know, lifetime or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was, it was very dorky. It was super, super dorky, but you know, Hey, it was my first time. And I was like, I'm just going to do what's easy to me. So do you, uh, do you tend to storytell more or play more? Um, I, I think, um, recently I tend to storytell more. Um, I love to play, you know, I just, I love being a player, but, mm-hmm. um, in my old gaming group, you know, there was basically two people that would storytell and that was me and the other person in, in my gaming group that mm-hmm. I used to do a podcast with. And, uh, so th- that was it. So I was either playing or storytelling, which is what everybody does. but um, you know, like there wasn't anybody else running games. So once that kind of broke up and and I moved, you know, and was interacting with new people, I definitely was like, I want to play, I want to play. Um, but now it's kind of like settling back into, you know, all right, if you want a game to get run, you know, you're going to run it. The group that I'm most playing with now though, um, it's pretty like evenly everybody takes turns. So I'm playing in, a cyberpunk game. I'm running a Shadowrun game. I'm playing in a V5 game. I'm running a V20 game. So now it's kind of like equal. Running two versions of the same game at the same time seems absolutely terrifying. Um, <laughs> but I I feel as if it's my mission in life to storytell for other people who only ever storytell because mm-hmm. I find the process of being a player terrifying. Um, like I was playing in a one shot with, um, uh, one of the folks from darker days radio. And I made a snarky comment about what my character did. And he's like, is that what you're really saying? I'm like, Oh no, my choices have ramifications. This is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the ability to arbitrarily reset the world. Should I make an error? Oh crap. <laughs> this is, this is terrifying. So <laughs> I think that's going to be, uh, uh, also a fascinating aspect of playing the vampires. You want to talk about a terrible idea of running two versions of the same game at the same time. Uh, one time I ran a third edition and sixth edition game of Shadowrun at the same time. And oh joy, that was terrible. Like it was, it was awful in my brain on so many levels. Players were like, you know, whatever they had fun, you know, mm-hmm. they're just happy to play. And I'm like, I, these rules are so complicated already. Why did I do this? Yeah. So I basically took two entire scenarios and was like, here's rules for third and here's rules for sixth. Yeah. That was a bad idea. I don't know why did they start merging at any point? Like, or did you, did you ever do the thing where you, I, I think the most embarrassing moment a storyteller can have is when you call for a role that involves a stat that is not on the sheet. Oh, I do that all the time. Okay. Especially, especially with vampire, like there's five editions of that. And uh-huh. the first four, there are not many dramatic changes, but most of them are in abilities. And I, th- there's a thousand times a session where we're like, um, give me a roll, roll your vampire lore and your blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, if you're in V20 or any of the late v, V20 or V5, they're like, that's not a thing. What do you want me to roll? I mean, a cult <laughs> roll, roll a cult. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's always interesting what they decided to combine and what they decided to break out. Like I I'm firmly of the opinion that the character sheet should be modified for the kind of game that you want to run. Um, like animal can maybe doesn't need to exist in every game. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. But, um, and that like, Oh, if you're going to do a, a whole bunch of breaking and entering or something like that, then you should probably add uh security yeah. to your main character sheet and kind of rotate through. Um, I, I was reading through the, 
mummy one E set up and that's just it's it's just an open-ended list and your character might have agriculture because you were a farmer not sure if that's going to come up but darn it it's it's realism and they added animal empathy as an additional thing so you're like okay i got animal that's good that's what we're doing so if if you get the chance look at like the and i'm sure there's like um you know mage analogs as well um probably analogs for every type of game but like go look at the first chicago by night the first or, or second ed and like, there's just ridiculous abilities, like, especially on the elder characters where, where you're like, okay, like a brinksmanship. Why do you have a brinksmanship <laughs> of seven? Like, what does that even mean? Like what, where, where did you get this? You know, it's just like ridiculous abilities. And then you're like, but you don't know how to drive. Like, <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. I, I feel like there should be a, you're a human starter pack. <laughs> where you automatically get one dot in drive and one dot in computer and so on, depending on uh, when your character was first embraced. I, have you ever played any of the Powered by Apocalypse games where you have playbooks instead of character sheets? I have not, no. I, I just I'm, I just have books on shelves. I haven't gotten a chance to play. <laughs> uh, COVID has been great for me. I think I tried 17 new game systems from January of 2020 through to now. Um, do I remember any of them? No, that's not the point, but I got to try them and I have vague impressions about it. But one of the things they do is instead of traditional character sheets, you generally have a playbook and um, instead of it being blank or instead of it being like the character template at the back of a splat book, it's in between. Mm-hmm. It says, okay, you're uh, you're a Bruja bruiser. You probably, you, you're going to have at least one dot of fortitude, one dot of whatever, um, three dots of strength, two dots of, of um, stamina, but Here's two more dots, put them wherever you want. And I am, I am always curious if that is a good way to introduce people to a game, to have something be semi-customizable yeah. as opposed to uh, either completely blank or completely already provided for you. Yeah, I, I think that that is a, it's a, it's, I think we're at a very interesting time as far as like tabletop role-playing is concerned, mm-hmm. um, because I do think stuff like that is very good for getting people introduced to it, especially mm-hmm. adults. Um, but I, I also think that like, there is that balance, like, you know, here's, here's how to make, like, there are some games where I sit down to make a character and I'm like, I don't, I don't have time for this. Like, this is going to take way too long. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I, I started playing a star Wars, I'm probably going to brutalize this, but like star Wars legacy that runs off of like 3.5 D and D rules or whatever. Um, you know, the, the 3.5 license or whatever. And, uh, number one, there's no, there's no books available for it. Like good luck finding them. They're going to be 150 bucks on eBay and there's no good PDFs for it. You can only find like old scans of this game. Mm -hmm. And so already like I'm suffering because I don't have a book and now I'm like, okay, I have to make a level 10 character to play this game, game that I'm going to be playing in. Mm -hmm. And there's like five different variants and like you get this, there's like a hundred different powers you can pick from. And I'm just like, I don't, (laughs) I'm just not that interested in doing this, but you know, in a game where there is less like XP requirement to build your character, you know, I, I, I like a balance between customizable completely. And like, there's kind of some foregone conclusion of what you're going to be playing. So, yeah, I don't know. Long-winded explanation aside, it was a hard character to make because (laughs) I like physical books and PDFs of shitty scans and old rules make it kind of hard to build a character. 
I am fascinated though about the the Fantasy Flight Star Wars game. I, I really like the core conflict resolution yeah. mechanic that they kind of had in that using the Genesis system, mm-hmm. where it was you didn't get a distinct outcome, but you got like a set of traits that implied what happened, and then every role is interpreting it, being like, oh, you got three good things and two bad things, so on net something good happened, but you now have two points of disadvantage. So how did you get what you want? But it's setting you up to be worse for the next thing that you do. Um, and I, I, I think that's kind of a, a fascinating way to go. I, I, I wish there were a way to take the, the games we loved in Old World of Darkness and just kind of tinker around the edges more yeah. formally than just doing something on the Storyteller Vault. I, I, don't know how we, I don't know how we get there. I don't know what that looks like, but I, I, hope, I hope we still have an opportunity to innovate because attribute plus ability is a remarkably robust system. Yeah. Um, you need this many successes at this difficulty. Yeah. Go. Um, <laughs> I think that that gets you real far. I mean, there's a reason why it's kind of the foundation of the story path system as well, but, uh, I hope, yeah, I hope we figure out how to move it to kind of that next generation where it becomes much more approachable. And I'm not quite sure how we do that. I'm not either. Cause I'm not really sure. I'm not even really sure what it is right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. You know, uh, I, I'm just, I'm kind of like just sitting here going, eh, I'm, I'm let's wait and see. Um, yeah. For the most part, I mean, um, I'm going to play any game that's put in front of me, but I'm unique in that perspective because I'm, I'm a gamer. No one needs to yeah. like sell me on playing a game. Just say, I'm going to run a game. Do you want to play? Um, so, you know, from the other end, like trying to, introduce new people. You know, I don't even really think that personally I'm in that kind of group anymore either because, you know, I'm, I just turned 40 and I've been doing this for a long time and I have an established set of friends and there's not too many people I'm going to be like, Hey, by the way, have you heard about this thing? Um, you know, most of the time when people ask me, they go, you know, what do you do? Oh, I, I make YouTube videos and podcasts. Oh, like what, what are your subjects? Uh, you know, gaming, like role-playing games. And they're like, oh, I played Final Fantasy. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let's just keep going with that. Sounds good. Final Fantasy is a fun game. I <laughs> Like trying to explain what a tabletop role-playing game is to people that aren't familiar with it is hard enough. And like then getting new people in, good luck. So it took me a remarkably long period of time to figure out what aspect of the tabletop experience I liked because I liked the game. I liked because it was collaborative advanced storytelling, which is what a role-playing game is. Mm -hmm. It's collaborative advanced storytelling. Uh, It is storytelling with, with a scheme to it. Um, and what portion of it, um, was, was hanging out with friends. Um, and only, only as I approach 40, have I realized, oh man, I can have different games focused on different things. So I have that mage group that I've been running for like four years with the exact same people. And that hits the, we're going to hang out. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to wear the comfy pants of RPGs. And then I have this other group where it's like, we are constantly trying new games. And now I have this new group that is, we're trying to get better at running and playing in games to, to improve our craft of things yeah. uh, and, and kind of to, to drag it pack back to, to try it con. I think there are a lot of other people that are kind of in that same setting where you either have the new people or the old hands and it's hard to figure out a way to, to create something in between. Uh, like I'm, I'm super worried that RPGs are like community bands uh, in the sense that everyone loves music, but not <laughs> everyone wants to make music. Everyone wants to hear a good story, but not everyone wants to participate in making it. 
And it is, it is vital to me that a culture have good ways of getting people together to do that. Yeah. Early on in COVID, there was a tweet that was like, only now because of COVID, do I realize how much of my uh, hobbies were going out and eating at restaurants and drinking. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and just that kind of consumption is fine. It's a, it's what cookie monster would call a sometimes food. Um, but, but to me, like role-playing games are the human experience. Yeah. They are people with disparate backgrounds coming together to tell a story. Um, but with this extra, either removing or adding this extra level of contrivance by saying, we're going to use these rules to do it. And as more and more time goes on that, how do we make a story aspect becomes more and more interesting to me. And interestingly, that has not made me less interested in crunchy systems because a crunchy game creates a story in its own little crunchy way. Um, so I don't know how many other people are kind of in that same area a, a, of gaming experience. And as I've gotten older, I have realized how important running the one shot for strangers is that if you really love a game, one of the best things you can do to, to spread the love is, is try and run it. Yeah. And I, I really wish all the old world of darkness lines had good campaign books. I understand that it's hard, but it is so much easier to get someone to run a story by saying, okay, you get to run werewolf. Yeah. Also, here's the setting that is already set up for Tulsa or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, you can reskin the whole thing to make it wherever you live. But if I were to, to, to wish something into the universe to exist, it would be those campaign books. It would be the descent into Avernus for mage. People say it can't be done. I think it can. I think it's super hard but I think it can be done and, and we'll yeah. see if after this convention, that is my next big project. I think that those, um, those like campaign books really were the city books. I think that the, the nature and, um, I'm, I'm sure that you experience the same thing with mage. You know, it's not like there isn't a thing happening necessarily. It's just, here is the whole of the world. Um, sadly, Mage got literally one of those books. We got fallen tower, Las Vegas, and it was the fifth from final book that was ever published for Mage. I see, <laughs> see, I assumed <laughs> there were more of them because I had that one there. I was like, there's no way I have the only one. <laughs> only one yeah. <laughs> what are well, the odds that I have the winning lottery ticket? I mean, you guys, um, you guys also have chaos factor. So that should so, count, right? So one of the things I want to do, uh, remember after the Tim Burton back Batman, and everyone's like, Batman is dead. And then we got the Christopher Nolan Batman, uh -huh. or I think that was the reboot. And we're like, oh shit, this is Batman. I think there is space for someone to run a really good non-gonzo live play of Chaos Factor. Yeah. Of just depicting Mexico City as this terrible doom occurs and that could be like the uh the the batman begins i i agree with you I, I think that um if someone had the time and wherewithal and the brain power and the basically time uh you could go through mexico city by night you could go through chaos factor you could you know you could go in and extract the appropriate materials from a werewolf Chronicle, and you could just make a Mexico City, a World of Darkness Mexico City book that wasn't that, that is ridiculous because let's face it, it's ten million people in the real world. It's not a great place, um, but you know, like you said, not just like like superhero, you know, ultra demon. What the hell is happening? And like actually make it kind of a very dark, disturbing, and terrifying place where it all crosses over. I, I think someone could do it. Not me. Yeah. Not me, but someone could. 
Yeah. And it's, and one of the paradoxes of role-playing is the people that have the skill set to do really well in the RPG industry probably have the skill set to do really well at something that would pay them vastly more. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like we are so lucky that Justin Achille chooses to still spend Justin Achille's time vampiring because like, uh, it seems that Justin would have the wherewithal to be the head lore designer for a massive, uh, online game or something like that and get paid 75 times as much yeah. and just have this, this legion of people beneath Justin to do, uh, to implement the plot or whatever, uh, that they came up with. And, and even in new world of darkness, we have world of darkness, shadows of Mexico. So like we, we keep trying and, uh, <laughs> I, I wonder who's going to be the person who cracks that egg. And I, I think of some of the people in the RPG industry, like, and their business acumen and be like, oh man, if you were to work for like LinkedIn or Slack, mm-hmm. you would be making literally 15 times as much, <laughs> uh, you know, I, for sacrificing yourself for us. <laughs> you, you had mentioned, um, you know, something earlier, um, before I wrap this up, cause I got to go in here pretty soon, but I do want to ask you a question, um, going through, and I, I don't know if I told you, but I'm, I'm working on a 1920s Chicago uh-huh. by night for vampire. But doing that and reading the history of, of the city and, and, you know, exploring all of the bizarre nooks and crannies has made me really interested on the, the back end, the things that aren't in the vampire book, like Wraith, Werewolf, etc. And, you know, is that something like when you sit down to work on your game, do you try to think of those things or do you try to isolate them so that they don't interfere with your, your mage campaign? Um, Cause you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this, this era in the 1920s and the amount of people that have died and just like the, like just that ridiculous, like slaughter of, mm-hmm. of tens of millions of animals. I'm like, man, I bet this place is really messed up in the wraith world how does that factor in when you sit down to develop your chronicle so when i develop a chronicle and most of mine are set in cities uh just because i I want the city to be a person in the game uh if i run a game in chicago i want the the personality of chicago to come across chicago has its wants and its needs and the players will need to fight that if they want something else um, I, there is a episode of Mage the podcast where Griffin from the story told, and I sit down, we talk about how we make our supernatural Philadelphia's. Um, but the way I do it, the world of darkness to me, um, I try and keep it far away from Harry Potter in the sense that Harry Potter is my description for any time a supernatural mostly deals with other supernaturals. Yeah. Um, I run a very low mage count game. There are nine mages in the city of Philadelphia and the surrounding suburbs. So that is 7 million people depending on how you define it. It's like, yeah. so the city itself is a little bit shy of, uh, is I think 1.5 million or something like that. Uh, depending on what burbs you include, that brings it up to about five. And if you include all the exurbs, it brings it up to about seven before we fade into New York and DC. Um, I only have nine mages in the city and maybe some of their apprentices. Um, I usually pick what influences I want to have in the city. To me, vampires are everywhere. That's what makes a vampire a vampire. Um, and then I pick something else. And usually I pick Wraith. Um, just because wraiths are so understandable yeah. compared to all the other night folk. Like I will never be able to put myself in the feet of like an unseely, um, changeling who is dealing with a 400 <laughs> year old, um, attempt to, to win back his right. lady or something like that. Right. And I will never understand the pure unalloyed rage 
of a werewolf feeling that the, the universe is in the wrong place, but somebody who died before they could finish their symphony that I get like someone who never told, never got a chance to tell their kids that they love them one right. last time. And that is keeping them around that I super get. Um, and to me, since Philadelphia is one of the comparatively old cities, I, I have that. So I pick ahead of time what factors I want to have there. And I consider those um, in my head. There are three places in the city where there are vampires. And no matter what the characters are doing there, they're going to get a whiff of vampire. Um, wraiths can be everywhere because of the nature of the shadow land. And that is something that I can have intrude on the plot if I want to, if I think it'll make it interesting yeah. um, or the players can always reach out to any other splat they're interested in. I ask about, but I never presume. Um, one of the things that not having a high supernatural game creates is this interesting metagame moment where my characters were trying to figure out who did this particular thing. And this place got roughed up and torn to pieces and the characters are like, this looks like it was done by like a werewolf. And then they realize that they're mages in the old world of darkness. And they're like, are werewolves a thing? Like, and they're just <laughs> looking at each other. Like, do they exist? Um, and I'm like, you don't know. You've heard rumors, but you're not sure. Like <laughs> you're, you're mages. You've seen some kooky ass shit, but that doesn't mean that you know whether or not werewolves exist. So I, I always like that having that uh, in the back end. So usually for me, I pick what the main splat is. I pick one that is tied to theme and I may have certain areas of a city dominated by it, but do I include all of them? No, not unless a player requests it. If a player says, oh, I want to have the merit kinfolk or fairy blood or something like that we can make that work yeah. but when i think about it uh, i'm with you i think wraiths should be in every game a little bit and yeah. even and we may just call them ghosts and yeah. not bring the whole system with us for me, me yeah it, it should always be there I, I, for me my perspective on wraith is it's always there right it's 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 under it you know it's just below the surface mm -hmm. and i i will not introduce you to it as a player Mm -hmm. uh, unless you somehow go, well, I'm going to play a necromancer. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Well then now I get to kind of peel that away. Now your whole coterie or your whole pack is going to be having a hard time with that, whatever it may be. Um, but a lot of times, like if I want to just tell like a really messed up ghost story, um, you know, with the vampires as sort of the protagonists, I'll use Wraith, but I use Wraith the same way I'll use Mage or Werewolf. Mm -hmm. I will describe it to you as, well, it's a Wraith. You know it's yeah. a Wraith. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll never describe a Mage that I include in my game as a Mage. Mm -hmm. you, know, you may go to a place and I'll describe things to you. And I know you as a player are going to be going, wait a minute, one plus one. <laughs> but I'm going to make an effort to not use any of that language because mm -hmm. I, I do think it diminishes the impact of what happens when those worlds overlap. Um, you know, when, when somebody's like, ah, oh, I'm just going to use necromancy. I'm going to bind, uh, I'm going to bind that wraith soul. What kind of wraith is it? I'm, <laughs> I'm like, no, what? no, yeah. no, no, that's none of those. Also your clan doesn't, doesn't use that term. Uh, your bloodline doesn't know what the hell a wraith is. Mm -hmm. So let's not have that conversation. Um, but yeah, I, I like those worlds kind of like, cause I really still like to screw with with players when they're like, I'm the supernatural. I know it all. I'm the big bad. Eh, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Other things happening. So, um, and, and it makes the world so much richer that there, there are weird things. And the moment the player is not quite sure. Yeah. Um, there, there are benefits like you play D and D for a while and they, the GM describes a boule or something like that, or an ank egg or something like that. And you're like, ah, shit, ank eggs or something like that. And even if you have a new character, but old world of darkness is so much space. Like 
how many different ways can I have a menacing person that appears to be unaged to try and convince me to do something surrounded by wealth? Uh, even if I just stick to the things that already exist, it could be a vampire. It could be a mummy. It could be a wraith. It could be uh, somebody that's embodied. It could be someone that has been uh, taken over by a demon. There, there's so many options and not tipping your hand, I think is very good storytelling. So I, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely, um, in, in the right way, I really enjoy making my players uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, making them go, wait a minute, what did we just experience? What the mm-hmm. hell was that? Um, and, and, you know, for the most part, most of the people I play with will go, oh, he knows this world. So I know he's not just like making random shit up. And the truth is sometimes I do too. So yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I'm going to let you go. It's been a pleasure. We actually have to jet for uh, another shot. So, you know, yes, take names. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Try so- If you're curious to see how things are going. Absolutely. Um, and this, um, how, when, when will you stop taking, like, when will you stop giving out tickets or taking suggestions for games? Uh, so we, we are going to start assembling the schedule this week. Okay. We're going to spend two weeks doing that. And then the schedule is going out the weekend of the 17th, um, of, of April 17th. That, that is our goal. We will cool. still take recommendations. Um, the, those recommendations have have like less impact the closer to the event date you get. So more or less whenever whenever works for you. Um, I probably should have said when the event was happening. So good job selling things, Terry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the it is it is the event is happening the weekend of May fourteenth and fifteenth. We may spill into Sunday if we get a lot of demand for Sunday and if things are just just kind of go gangbusters. But I mean, really, any time before. Um, the third would be great. I figure give people two weeks. That would be nice. Yeah. Um, but even the week before would probably be fine. Um, but, and if either everything, either no one participates or everything fills instantly, I will tell you. <laughs> okay, cool. So this, this will go up April 9th. So you'll have until, you know, May, okay, uh, you'll have, cool. you know, a good three weeks to get up there. Try um, request a game offer to run one, you know, um, if, for instance, someone wanted to donate or wanted to help to um, help you guys out with time or sponsorship or whatever. Um, is there a way for people to get in contact with you to do that? Yes. Uh, the easiest way to do that are contact at tryitcon.com and that will go straight to me. The way we are doing sponsorship is, again, since we don't really have any cash overhead that we need to do, um, if you either offer to run a game or materially support us, you will be listed in our sponsor page. And that will go out uh, when we do our periodic updates to people who have signed up. So that is that is kind of how we are recognizing sponsors. If you either provide resources, if you're drive through RPG or a publisher and you give away copies of your game, uh, we will add you to the sponsor role. Um, or if you offer to run sessions or help us with logistics or something like that, but uh, contact at tryitcon.com. The uh, tryitcon.com itself has the, uh, the links to request or submit for a game. Uh, yeah. And those are probably the two best ways to do it. Let's see what happens. Hey, cool. Thank you for joining me. Everybody go to the website and go play some games. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the 2D10 podcast. If you enjoyed it, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash 2D10. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for 2D10. 
You can also support this show and all of Utility Muffin Labs by backing me on patreon.com slash 2D10. Go to utilitymuffinlabs.com for more podcasts, artwork, and gaming fun. Utility Muffin Labs, consistently rated adequate. <laughs>